So brethren, today I'm going to start with asking a question. What is one of our worst enemies, our personal worst enemies that we have to deal with on a personal note? And that's what my message is basically focusing on. The wise and foolish use of the tongue. The use of our tongue and to put basically what we what we say in our conversations and we just blurt out sometimes without thinking. How many times have you said something and kick yourself and say, why did I say that? Well, that's what I'm going to speak about today. It's a very broad topic. And, of course, you know where I'm going to lead to here, and that is in Proverbs. So let's turn to Proverbs 1, verse 3. We're going to review the book of Proverbs and just one of the many, many themes that you find in this book. Solomon begins in Proverbs 1 with telling us two main things. He tells us the purpose of the Proverbs. Let's read uh, verses 1 to 3, Proverbs 1, 1 to 3. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, righteousness, and judgment, and equity. So that's the basis of what Solomon was writing and telling us about. Solomon tells us the main purpose of the book of Proverbs is for the learning about wisdom and discipline, which are really two sides of the same coin. He explains further in writing that the powers are for understanding deep thoughts, for securing a good, fulfilling, and ordering, ordered life by doing what is right, just, and fair, according to God's standards. The second thing that Solomon says and tells us is that Proverbs are written for a particular audience. Let's read on verse 4 to 6. Verse 4 to 6. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young man. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. To understand a proverb and its interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. It's for those who don't think, and her Solomon doesn't tell us who they are. They are, could be young, they could be old. He goes on to say in the same verse that it's also for the young. For those who don't think, for those who are really misled or seduced easily it is to give them caution prudence and to think wisely and that applies to all of us brother for those who are younger so that they can gain that knowledge and discretion and to have a plan for life it's an instruction book basically that's written particularly focusing at times on the young teaching them the principles and so forth and how to conduct themselves and lead their lives in the future. 
It's for those who are already wise as well, because they will hear and not just listen, but even learn even more from what the words that have been spoken. And lastly, it's for those who already understand, because they will gain the skill to counsel with the Hebrew connotation, steer. You're going to steer through the course of life and by the implication to teach others. And that's part of our role too, brethren. Let's keep Solomon's purpose and audience in mind as we look just at one aspect of Proverbs. The wise and the foolish use of the tongue. More sin is probably committed by the misuse of the tongue than by any other means. Let's see how the wise and the foolish use and misuse of the tongue in this way we can learn and increase in wisdom and discipline. And that's what we should all be striving for. Let's turn to Proverbs 15, verse 2. Proverbs 15, verse 2. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours out foolishness. There's a stark difference between those who are wise and those who are foolish, yet both use the same tongue to speak. They both believe that whatever they say is true. They are deceived, but they still believe it's true. Even those who lie, they do so only because they know what the actual truth is. Brethren, how do we tell the difference? After all, everyone has an opinion, and we know that only too well. Everyone has an opinion. Society claims every opinion has some value and must be listened to. Everyone must be heard in today's society, listened to and paid attention to. Knowledge about a topic isn't necessary. No, not at all. Today, facts, knowledge, opinions, they are all the same. That's the attitude of the general world around us today. There was an article that I came across published by uh, Bernie Belvedere back in 2018. And it was entitled, a very interesting title, Are Facts and Opinion Really That Different? And quoting from that, everywhere you look, facts and opinions are contrasted with each other. This is a mistake. Is, but is there a line? Is there a distinction? Is there a dichotomy, a division between opinion and fact in the first place? Not in the way the study, that is, study he had read, and society at large thinks there is. Let me put it more diplomatically. I'm, I'm quoting here. It's reasonable to conclude that certain differences exist between the two but they are less pronounced and far less consequential than society tends to assume. So basically, in a nutshell, what he's saying is whether you know anything or not, if you have an opinion and you believe something, that's the same thing almost as a fact. 
It doesn't really matter if it's a fact, if you believe what you're saying. That has become a general consensus in the world today by many, many people, unfortunately. But what does Solomon say? What does Solomon say? He is telling us that if you are wise, you will use your tongue rightly. A wise person has his tongue under control. He doesn't run off at the mouth, and he just doesn't spew things out. He can rightly or correctly divide the word of the truth. He does not lean on his own understanding or wisdom that he claims to be or to have. He knows that he does not have it in him to know everything and must look elsewhere to get that knowledge. So where does he get that knowledge? Where does he get that knowledge? Let's turn to Proverbs 1, verse 7. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear, and we've heard this many times, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning or the foundation of all knowledge, brethren. Why should it be so? Why should that be so? Since God created everything, he is the source of all knowledge. What knowledge there is, it is because God has determined that these are the facts. What we need to do is to learn and to learn that and grasp that thought, brethren. It is critical for us to learn that major principle. A wise man fears, which means he reverences or humbles himself before God. He knows that he does know he, he knows that he doesn't know it all. He has the spirit to lead him into all knowledge with what's given to him by God and his word. Let's turn to John 14 verse 26. John 14, verse 26. But when the Comforter comes, even the Holy Spirit, which the Father will send in my name, that one shall teach you all things and shall bring to your remembrance everything that I have told you. It's just not enough. Brethren, just to start, you must continue and keep growing in grace and knowledge. That's the basis of our conversion process. Second Peter 3, verse 18. Second Peter 3, verse 18. Rather be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and into the day of eternity. Amen. A wise person is always willing and to er learn from 
eager to learn from God. Even Christ said that he only said those things that he was taught by his Father. Remember the temptation in the wilderness. When Satan tempted Christ, he referred to the Bible and gave Satan responses not out of his own thoughts, but that out of the scriptures, the word of God. The wise search the scriptures, and that's what we are to do, to search the scriptures. We know that the Bereans were very noble, and another word for being noble would be wise because they did search out the scriptures. So that's a process that needs to be instituted into our lives, to search out the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for conviction, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The fool doesn't do that. You notice that the wise man uses his tongue, but when referring to the fool, Solomon refers to the mouth. It's the mouth that spews forth or belches, as I would say, out foolishness. The wise have control over their tongue. The fool, they basically have no control and continuously belch up nothing but nonsense at times. And we must be careful that we don't get into that pattern. It's very easily done. As we read in Proverbs 1 verse 7. Brethren, there's no need to point out the many instances of, of nonsense that all of us have been surrounded by and been part of us, been part of. Many fools surround us, many. It's not name-calling. If that was what God refers to these actions as, and that's what we have here. We must also be very careful, brother. We must be careful. We must be wise in what we say, what we do, and control our tongue. Wise men aren't guaranteed to be wise at all times, and fools are not always fools. Let us look at a good example, probably a very good example, of Peter. Let's turn to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse... 13, beginning verse 13. Now after coming into parts of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus questioned his disciples, saying, Who do men declare me, the Son of Man, to be? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others, Elijah and others, 
Jeremiah or one of the prophets, he said to them, But you, who do you declare me to be? Then Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So here we see an example. Peter revealed, had revealed this to him by the Father, and he was able to answer Christ. And that, of course, was a wise thing to do. Let's turn now down to uh, verse 21. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and to be killed and to be raised the third day. But after taking him aside, Peter personally began to rebuke him, saying, God will be favorable to you, Lord. In no way shall this happen to you. So Peter came out and said that to Christ. Think about that, brethren. If you were Peter and Christ were to say he's going to die, human speaking, you wouldn't want this to happen, of course. You would want to intervene and say, no, this is not going to happen to you. And what was Christ's response? Verse 23, then he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me because your thoughts are not in accord with the things of God, but the things of men. Here was Peter being praised for his wise saying and now being called Satan because he did not follow God's way. Very easily to get entrapped in that you can say something wise and all of a sudden in the same conversation something unwise can come out of your mouth. Let's turn to Pro back to Proverbs. Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But he who listens to advice is wise. Peter thought he was wise in his own eyes. We can't depend on the speaker to know whether he is wise or not. Peter depended on the understanding of Christ's purpose of coming to this earth. He thought he was right and righteous in, protect, in protecting Christ. In this, he actually was foolish. He was thinking from a human perspective, not from a godly perspective. Christ said, you are thinking of human things, the things of man, and not the things of God. Peter, of course, thought he understood, but he clearly missed Christ's purpose for coming. He didn't ask for clarification or explanation from Christ. He just, he thought he stood, but at the same time, instead of standing, he fell. The wise always seek and listen to counsel, brother. The wise always seek and listen to counsel. 
And we have some examples, again, in the scriptures that we can go to. Moses listening to Jethro, for instance. We have Nicodemus who met with Christ and asked him questions. We all must also step back, brethren, and say that pagans can make wise decisions too. We can actually say that at times. Do you remember Naaman? He was a commander of the army. He was a man, a great valor, and he was also a leper. Naaman served the king, and he was told by a servant girl that he ought to go to Israel and see a great prophet that would be able to heal him. Let's turn to 2 Kings 5. 2 Kings 5. Verses 9 and 10. And Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Then Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Here's a great man coming all this distance to see this prophet. And what does the prophet do? He just sends a messenger. If you're Naaman, would you be upset? You're not giving me the respect I deserve? Don't you know who I am? Of course, that's exactly what happened. Let's read on. Verse 11. But Naaman was angry and went away. And he said, Behold, I said within myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and heal the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? And he turned and went away in a rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do a great thing, would you have not done it? How much rather than when he says to you, Wash and be clean? Naaman thought at least he'd asked to go on some great adventure or do something very spectacular to get clean. But to take a bath seven times? Not really. He changes his mind. Verse 14, then he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little boy. And he was clean. Good illustration. Naaman was a great man, and he expected great deeds. He was a man of pride. Also, he was one who could listen to counsel. As a result of listening and obeying, he was cured, of course. And that was a wise thing to do. And this is a little bit of what Naaman was saying. Proverbs 10, verse 19. Proverbs 10, verse 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips 
is wise. Naaman did say many very silly things. They are not necessarily a sin, but this principle holds that when there are many words spoken, sin is usually not far behind. If you can control your words, then you are wise. How many times have you personally just blurted something out prior to thinking about what you were going to say? I know all of us have done it at some time. If we look around us now, we can find this easily, so easily written form in, so, in social media. I remember when the cell phone first came out, they were supposed to increase and ease communication. You could talk with about any, you could talk with about anyone, anywhere, and any time. If you listen and really think about it, most of that talk was just that. It's just talk. It's mostly mundane. Now, I'm not saying that all of it is, but a good percentage of it does end up just being that. Just talk. Solomon is not necessarily warning us against many words. What he's warning us again is speaking many vain words, vain words, just mumbling and bumbling along and just talking about everything and anything and just to talk. Do you know individuals that just do that at times? They just ramble on and out of politeness you just sort of listen or you half listen. Many words, many words, brethren, is a sign of egotism at times. Many people love, love to hear their own voice. They are being very foolish. Sin is inevitable when words are many. Are many. We'll take one specific example here. Since we're to learn from the scriptures, let's see and look at this example we have where the words are many and sin is not lacking. We're going to see an example where not only the many words spoken here affect the person who speaks to them, but the entire, the entire nation. Second Kings. Let's go back to Second Kings. Verse, uh, chapter 20, chapter 20. Beginning verse 12. At that time, Barodic Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and presents and a pre to Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed them and showed them all the house of the precious things, the silver, the gold, and the spices, and the precious ointment and the house of his armor, and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion, which Hezekiah did not show them. So Hezekiah revealed everything that he had to the enemies of Israel. I can just imagine them walking along and their secretaries behind them, 
jotting everything down. One chandelier, three cups, gold, and so forth, taking inventory of everything that he had. Verse 14, Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They have come from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures which I have not shown to them. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come when all that is in your house, and which your fathers have laid up in store until today, shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And of your sons which shall issue from you, which you shall beget, they shall be taken away, and they shall be officers in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hezekiah boasted, boasted of all his treasures. He ran at the mouth, not only his own personal treasures, but also the things that pertain to God and the entire kingdom. He was proud of his possessions, but he was also vain. He took time to show everything, and you can't do that all in an hour. He just he didn't just give them a peek. He said he revealed everything, everything he revealed in detail was not a wise thing to do. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let's go back and look at social media as another example. And there's others too. Do they reveal too much? Do they reveal too much? We can see what the result was for Hezekiah here in verse 16 to 18. That everything that he would have taken away to Babylon, everything he had would be taken away to Babylon. Even his own family would suffer, and therefore all of Israel, because he spoke too many words. So, brethren, the principle is wise control of your speech. We have a bad example here. But how about a good example of controlling your speech? How about a good example? Nehemiah. Let's, let's speak about Nehemiah. The story, Nehemiah knew he was surrounded by enemies. When he first arrived in Jerusalem, he kept his plan to himself until he had investigated the entire situation about it. And once he did that, he did speak to the elders there. The word got out as to what his plan was. Let's turn to Nehemiah 2. Nehemiah 2, verse 19 and 20. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Gashan of 
the Arabian heard, they laughed us to scorn and despised us. And they said, what is this that you do? Will you rebel against the king? Verse 20. And he answered, and I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven, he will prosper, prosper us and we his servants will arise and build, but have you have no portion or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Unlike Hezekiah, Nehemiah didn't reveal everything when he arrived. He began by praying to God. That's how he began. While it was King Artaxus who allowed him to return and to do what he was going to do, it was God who directed Artaxerxes' steps. Nehemiah didn't depend on the letters that he had received from Artaxerxes or the power of the king. He depended on God and answered his enemies wisely. So that in itself tells what we should be doing. We should go to God and answer accordingly as instructed by the word of God. In verse 20, he was depending on God. And that's what we must also do, brethren. Sometimes think, say nothing. Think and depend on God that the right things be said and limited to what should only be said. It's better to keep silent and thoughtful than to speak and remove all doubt. That's all I will say about this topic, but how true it is. And I've experienced it, and I've probably been part of the problem at times as well. How true it is. And I'm sure that all of us can relate to this one way or the other in many circumstances that have come our way over the many years. The fool has no delight in understanding, and fools despise godly wisdom. They, also, they always rely on their own understanding and communicate such, and they don't confuse me, or they have this stance that they don't confuse me with facts. Let's turn back to Proverbs. Proverbs 18, verse 2. A fool has no delight in understanding, but only that his heart may discover itself. A fool's response exposes his heart, brethren. It's like growing up as a young child, talking to your mother and being caught, taking a cupcake and being in trouble for doing that. You can hear the mother scolding the child, and the child responds in the mother in a pleading way. Hey, listen, Mom, listen. He wants to explain as he has an excuse for doing it. He actually is exposing his heart to her mother, but it is to an old avail. Where does a child get this type of reaction or kind of reaction? We all do it. Look at the example of Adam and Eve at the beginning. When God asked Adam 
did you eat of the tree? Adam was quickly to answer, the woman, the woman that you gave me, God, it's her fault. He says, listen, God, listen to me. Let me explain. The woman that you gave me, it's, it was her fault. And that's very similar to the analogy given with the little child taking a cupcake. So we see that is the nature of men, brother. And we all have that, the nature of men. Also use that, it's also used when we're in trouble. We use this when we're hurt and we don't want to lash out. We don't want to hurt the other person, but we want the other person to clearly understand that they hurt us. It may be real, and sometimes it may just be imagined. We say, the person doesn't understand my feelings. How I felt when I they said that or did that. You see, fools go around trying to explain themselves and try to explain their heart. That, brethren, can lead to self-justification. That also is foolish and not a wise response. So what is a wise response? What is a wise response? Well, we've seen lots of negative so far, the Proverbs contracted the wise with the foolish. Not in this proverb. Solomon leaves this up to us to discover wisely. Let's take a look at some possible responses. Let's turn to 2 Samuel 16. 2 Samuel 16, beginning verse 9. This is the story of Shimei cursing David. 2 Samuel 16, verse 9. And Abishai, the son of Zariah, Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. Then the king said, What have I to do with you, sons of Zariah? Let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, Behold my son, who came forth from my loins, seeks my life, and how much more now than a Benjamite. Let him alone, and let him curse, for the Lord has spoken to him. Verse 12, it may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. Some other verses to consider would be, of course, Matthew 18. Matthew 18, we all know this when there's brethren that have difficulties amongst themselves. If your brother sins against you, Proverbs 10 points to hate and to love. Proverbs 10, verse 12. Proverbs 10, verse 12. 
Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Hatred stirs up life. 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. Getting verse 6. Instead, brother, go to a court of law with brother and this before unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is altogether an utter fault among you. You have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? This is, this we should all take a close look at. Verse 7, here's the key. Take the hit. Take the hit, it says. What, that's basically what Paul is saying to them. There's so much to consider, so much to understand, brother. Remember what we read in Proverbs 1, verse 6. Solomon didn't tell us the wise answer on purpose. It's left to us to figure out. If you're interested, this might be a good place to take a look and see what you can determine would be a wise answer in this situation. We can all possibly give an answer, but let's read on in Proverbs 29, verse 20. Proverbs 29, verse 20. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. This is someone who is quick to speak. Do you know of people like that? Very quick to speak. This is someone who is right, right there. He's right. He has something to say right away. He speaks before hearing the whole matter. Have you ever experienced that? He makes a snap decision. He doesn't consider the consequences. That can be a deadly thing. And I know that we can all get entrapped in doing that sometime in our lives. Let's look at the example represented by Jephthah's vow in Judges 11. He vows to sacrifice if God gives him victory. And God did. God did. The person he saw first was his own daughter coming out. An imprudent commitment is also made before men. Nabal's rejection of David's request to share Nabal's goods. He refuses to feed David's group. Abigail, who was described as being wise, saved Nabal from destruction. And James tells us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Sometimes it's just sit back, listen, and slow to speak. Nabal was fast to speak and never listened to those that was around him. Why is it worse for him than someone who is a fool? Well, the answer is, brethren, because a fool can be saved from his foolishness. Hasty words often bind a person to his troubles. Hasty words are prideful words, and pride comes before the fall. 
The wise are like those born with a silver spoon in their mouth. They have terrific value. They have a great privilege and responsibility as well. Proverbs 10, verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. Pretty plain, pretty plain. Psalms 37, verse 10. Psalms 37, verse 10. It is but a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Yea, you shall diligently consider his place, but he shall not be there. You see, brethren, the value is not only for us if we are wise, but for all those who are around us, for their benefit. It's someone that you can rely on. The mind or heart of the wicked can't be relied on. The heart is deceitful above all things, as we know. And when he speaks from the heart, the wicked speak foolishness and destruction. The wicked are selfish and foolish. It is hard to find any wisdom in a fool because of all the dross that he carries. Let's turn to Proverbs 24. The words of the wicked are like a punch in the mouth. The words of the wicked are like a punch in the mouth. It's not expected. It's not just because they are mean, but because they are destructive at the same time. Remember Satan's words to Eve. The words were very smooth, smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. Softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. We all know what happened to Adam and Eve. The words of the wise are like giving a kiss. Proverbs 24, verse 6. For the wise counsel you shall make your war, and in the multitude of wise counselor there is safety. Wise words, brethren, are supposed to be soft, gentle, and, of course, truthful. And we are to speak truth in love. The words are righteous. They are neither false nor crooked, as you can read in Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8, verse 9. Let's turn there. Proverbs 8, verse 9. There's much more we could cover here, but I'm just trying to highlight a few things here. Proverbs 8, verse 9. They are all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. It's very straightforward and easy to understand because the words are based on God's wisdom. Someone will always give an honest answer when asked about something or when we judge about something. We can be relied on, brethren, or we should be relied on, 
It's someone you like to be around. That's how it should be. Someone that you like to be around. Isn't a kiss on the lips between that better than a punch on the mouth? I only skimmed a few important but pertinent ideas here today. There's many, many verses in the Bible, as you can study, for the wise use of the tongue. And unfortunately, many examples of foolish misuse of the tongue. Solomon's Proverbs is an excellent book to go through. Words of wisdom. They're meant for wisdom, understanding, and, of course, with the understanding, discipline for living God's way. And they were recorded for the young and the old to learn from. An instruction booklet. Brethren, as God's people, we are to think godly thoughts after him. Not our own thoughts. Not relying upon ourselves, our emotions, our feelings, our opinions, our own understanding, but on God's words as revealed to us through the scriptures. If we continue, brethren, to grow in grace and knowledge, then the words that we speak will be God's words. That is our goal. The words that we speak will be God's words. They will be right, they will be just, and they will be fair. And then, brethren, they will be like a kiss on the lips.